This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same-game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. The Medicare annual election period deadline is almost here. I'm Meredith Vieira, here with examples of people who started their search for coverage at MyHealthPolicy.com. Meet Larry. He likes doing things online, so he started at MyHealthPolicy.com. I took my time and found the coverage I was looking for, and done. Next is Mary. When she wanted answers, she picked up the phone. I wanted a local perspective on plans, so I called MyHealthPolicy.com and done. Switch to a better plan. And Michael. I met with a local licensed insurance agent face-to-face and done. Go to MyHealthPolicy.com to compare top-rated Medicare Advantage plans in your area, including $0 premium plans, or call 1-800-GO-START. That's 1-800-GO-START. Meredith Vieira is a paid endorser. KF Agency operates MyHealthPolicy.com, not connected with or endorsed by the U.S. government or the federal Medicare program. A licensed insurance agent may call. Here's the scenario. You're injured in a collision and your insurance company is denying your claim. It happens far too often. If it happens to you, call me, Brian Goldfinger of Goldfinger Personal Injury Law. My team and I work for people just like you. We don't accept cases on behalf of insurance companies, so you and your family can make sure that you're in good hands. Visit goldfingerlaw.com and get us working for you. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Reaction Podcast. I'm host Samson Folk and you're joining me after the Raptors thrilling and fueled by the bench, end of bench, and end of bench adjacent players, Paul Watson, Dewan Hernandez, etc., Stanley Johnson, Matt Thomas, all those players fueling the Raptors to a 125-121 win. One of the most thrilling games of the bubble so far, I would say, because the Raptors shellacked the Lakers, and that was fun, and they also handled Miami, and this game was really close, and it was really fun to watch. The The execution down the stretch by the Raptors' end of bench guys was fantastic. There was a huge 18-point second quarter from Kyle Lowry. Lots of little fun plays that were made during the game. Pascal Siakam stepped completely out of bounds before saving the ball, a la Kevin Durant, and then we saw a huge Fred Van Vliet triple. Lots of exciting stuff. And a Stanley Johnson game winner. Of all things that you might have expected this year, Stanley Johnson, the Stanley Johnson, hit a game winner for the Raptors. Awesome stuff. Absolute scenes. And so the start of this game, quite slow for the Raptors, which has become somewhat of a trend, I would say, with guys coming in out of the lineup, the Raptors missing Serge Ibaka, OG Ananobi, those types of guys, and missing missing players in other games as well. So not really doing the most, but still winning basketball games, you know? So it's been it's been fun to watch. They just finished being the Bucks a couple days ago. Now they come in with, you know, if we're looking at the second half, pretty much a, a bench squad able to finally handle 
the 76ers in this one. But in the first quarter, starting out slow, Powell uh, getting bullied by Tobias Harris, I think especially was the matchup to watch because Joel Embiid was not getting a lot of possessions, although he was setting good screens to set Harris loose. But the Embiid-Gasol matchup went, I think, how most people expected it to. Embiid had a lot of trouble navigating that, that section of his game. Gasol seemingly enjoying himself and throwing his efforts elsewhere, doing a great job defending him. Just good team defense from Gasol, something we're really used to. But Powell having a lot of trouble dealing with Harris. So if that ends up being a, a playoff matchup, I think we'll be looking forward to OG in the lineup as opposed to Powell. But... The Raptors on the other end, not really able to generate that much of what they want to either. So we're looking at two teams that are having a bit of trouble scoring. The 76ers, as I said, relying on Harris. The Raptors trying to run some offense through Siakam, who was probing for something. Although what it was is not quite clear. We still see him posting up against bigger players. We still see him settling for a lot of threes. And so he hasn't been able to find the pacing of his game, I don't think. And his his reads of the second level of defense have been off for a while. He hasn't been as explosive in the post. And that does have to do with how he's reading the second level of defense because the help side is coming over and encroaching on his space. So even if he does lose his initial, his primary defender, we're still looking at a guy who's covered pretty well. So not not the best from Pascal and Maybe it's it's just been a tough bubble for him, whereas guys like Fred Van Vliet, who was also struggling to start out, he was getting into the middle of the 76ers defense, but as we saw last year during the playoffs, and it has as has been the case, I would say, during some games this year, Fred Van Vliet in the middle of a big defense, not super optimal. It doesn't get him to the spots on the floor where he's truly dangerous, where he's truly potent, and so we saw a lot of resets. We saw a lot of above-the-break action that didn't really turn into anything. The Raptors, a lot of late clock shots, a lot of shots that come after two or three dribbles from somebody who got handed the ball at the end of the possession. Not optimal shots, not something they're really looking for. And they start out slow. They're down 32-16 to initially, which is, you know, that's a lot. That's a, a big deficit for the first quarter, 16 points. They're getting absolutely smashed by the 76ers. Could hardly defend anything on the other end. Tried to throw zone defense in every once in a while. That didn't go well either. The 76er shooters, Korkmaz, for example, really came out to play Mike Scott hitting shots, Neto hitting shots. So the zone wasn't really a, a viable option either. But the Raptors, they sub Gasol back in. The, uh, the offense seems to whir a little bit. The ball's getting whipped around towards the end of the first quarter. They get to 25. So they pull within seven. So that was thrilling to watch. And so they head into the second quarter down seven points. And this is where Kyle Lowry's maniacal, competitive brain sends him into overcharge. He was going to the rim with reckless abandon, drawing fouls, throwing his body into defenders, flopping all over the court, pulling up from three with, I already used the term once, but it's easy to use more than once when you're describing Kyle Lowry's game, reckless abandon, very quick trigger. I would say Kyle Lowry and able to get to the spots on the floor that he wanted to pulling the Raptors offense kicking and screaming back into relevancy something that we've seen from a few different players during this bubble you know Fred Van Vliet in the Miami game for example doing a lot of heavy lifting Lowry in the Lakers game heavy lifting off the start and Lowry now heavy lifting as well in that second quarter had 18 points drove a lot of what the Raptors were doing 
but it was largely a one-man show. So 18 points from him, super impressive. Really getting the Raptors where they need to go, but the Raptors on the other side still giving up the occasional breakdown, still giving up the occasional layup or blown rotation that leads to an open-made three for one of the 76ers, whomever it was at that point in time. A lot of the problems from earlier in the game still present. The Raptors not able to stop the 76ers as often as they might like, not able to create easy shots offensively as often as they might like, and so they go into halftime down seven, wondering, okay, Lowry just poured his heart and soul onto the floor, put up 18 in the quarter. What the hell are we going to do to get back in this game? What the hell are we going to do to win this game? And it's worth noting that Joel Embiid injured his hand, left the game during the second quarter, and also worth noting that the Raptors starters did not play really in the second half at all, save for Siakam, who had a wonderful stint next to Chris Boucher. Them is the front court. I think they introduced a really funky, really enjoyable two-man game that usually ended up with just Siakam driving towards the rim or them kind of introducing a little baby screen action and then somehow the ball squirting out to Boucher who just kept throwing these absolute catapult three-pointers at the rim and so many of them dropped in. It was the lifeblood of the Raptors offense towards the end of the third quarter. I mean, they did their thing. They they labored away. They actually had an 8-0 run to start the, the third quarter to get the lead, believe it or not, to take the lead. And then it was just like a, a bunch of trading baskets at that point. And the most fun part of that was that Korkmaz on the 76ers, he was heating up. He was having a hell of a game. He was one of those guys who's on such a heater as a shooter that when he gets the ball, he can pretty much catch it at his chin doesn't have to reset and just goes straight up with a shot from there hit a couple threes like that the the 76ers really relying on those guys hitting threes to make sure that their offense is still driving forward the Raptors as I said that two-man game with Boucher and Siakam and especially Boucher on the defensive end I think the term I used in the quick reaction was an anthropomorphized skyscraper coming over to block guys from the weak side and he was He commanded the paint on the defensive end. He rolled hard to the rim on the offensive end and hit so many threes, way too many threes, less than I'm thinking right now, but more than you would expect if you hadn't watched the game. He was flinging it from downtown like a like a catapult in in the medieval times. There's a castle wall and they need to breach it. They load up the basketball, which in this case is a large stone that uh, very many men have belabored to carry over to said catapult, except this time it's Chris Boucher and his hands are wood, and he flings the ball at the castle, which is now the rim, and the rim graciously lets the uh, the boulder stone whatever it is inside for for a three-pointer and let's say the castle has now fallen and Chris Boucher's catapult team is now taking over the castle that's that's the best way I can describe basketball I think through this lens naturally okay thanks for sticking with me and the raps they went up to going into the fourth quarter now the the bench mob initially did not have very much success the the 76ers found quite a bit of success scoring against them and we're doing a pretty good job of limiting them offensively. But, true to Raptor form, the latter half of the fourth quarter was a success story, which we have seen many times before, and over the span of many years, I think it's fair to say. And rookie coach, 
well, Nick Nurse gave Adrian Griffin the opportunity to coach the team for this game, and I thought he did a great job of when to pull the trigger on the full-court press and the half-court press. And suddenly you see guys like Paul Watson, Malcolm Miller, Stanley Johnson, all, I think, accomplished defenders at certain levels and long defenders are suddenly out there getting after it and pressuring these 76ers who are not out there with one of a Josh Richardson, Joel Embiid, Ben Simmons, whoever, Al Horford, they do not have their regular guys either. So they start really, really pressing the issue. And the 76ers, they cough up the ball a few times. Suddenly, Stanley Johnson's able to scoop to the rim in the half court for a layup. Dewan Hernandez checks in. He cashes a three. He takes a dude off the dribble for an end one, like a Euro step into an end one. This is the third string center. Maybe depending on how you classify Chris Boucher, the fourth string center, just doing all these types of things, kind of insane. Paul Watson, really sleek Eurostep in the lane, pops a little floater up and in. Shout out to Joe Wolfond, who we talk about floaters all the time with. And also, maybe most importantly, Matt Thomas, who couldn't get loose from three very often in the game, gets loose for this crazy hanging triple that he takes off of a dribble handoff and flings it up. And it was like, oh my God. The Raptors are in this. They're actually coming back. It is manifest destiny. They've they've brought it all the way back. And to the point where it's a tie game with less than 20 seconds left. And we have Stanley Johnson dribbling at the top of the arc. Well, extended. He's almost close to half. And they doubled him. The 76ers doubled him. He escaped the double. Think of Kyle Lowry in Game 7 against the Nets. He escapes the double. He heads downhill, and he's going into the paint. He sees Duan Hernandez creeping into the dunker spot. He gives a little drop-off pass. It's, oh my God, it's about to happen. Duan is going to dunk. There's about four seconds left. The Raptors are going to do it. But that doesn't happen. He gets blocked. The ball squirts back to who? Stanley Johnson and Stanley Johnson sitting at the top of the charge circle as if God himself or herself, whoever God is to you, intended that the ball went to Stanley Johnson. The ball reaches his hands and a little baby jump shot leaves his fingertips and it goes in. The crowd that isn't there goes wild and the Raptors are up too and it's, oh my God. They've done it, so they have to get every. They have to get back together, and they have to guard for one more possession. But the 76ers throw it away. We get two Paul Watson free throws, and guess what? They win 125 to 121. An absolutely chaotic, incredible game. So much fun to watch. The Reggie Evans Award clearly goes to Stanley Johnson for his heart of a champion and his ability to press. Yeah, even in the one-on-one defending situations that he had in the fourth quarter, pretty impressive stuff. And especially as a a press defender, I thought he was great. Showed some hustle and had the ability to recognize that hustle is still valuable in the offensive end as he got that offensive rebound before putting it away for a bucket. Absolute scenes. Reggie Evans awards to Stanley Johnson. Top quick reaction comment is from Wildling number one. Quote, that was awesome the block and stanley johnson if a guy ever needed a confidence building game 
And he actually did a bunch of good things. And then Dewan Hernandez, Paul Watson, Adrian Griffin's first W, the benches standing and jawing for the final minutes. Not sure I've enjoyed a game more this season. End quote. Yeah, totally. Hit all the notes there. Super fun game to watch. A lot of the most important things that the Raptors have been needing this year, not even present in this game, but still one of the most enjoyable things that we've seen this year on the basketball court. And just to add a quote from Coach Griffin, quote, I felt like Cinderella. I had glass slippers on. It's great. It was an awesome feeling. So just a, or sorry, end quote. And so just looking at a guy who thoroughly enjoyed his first career win. And I think I saw a comment that said he's the only coach with a higher winning percentage than Nick Nurse, which, wow, they they really know how to build them out in Toronto. But anyway, I've been Samson Folk. Thank you very much for listening. If you enjoyed this, feel free to review or do whatever with this podcast. I mean, it's it's meaningful to me and meaningful to Raptors Republic. So thank you. But whether you're getting into this in the morning or at night, have a blessed day and goodbye. Want to hear something amazing? Discover matches all the cash back you earn on your credit card at the end of your first year, automatically, dollar for dollar, with no limit on how much you can earn. Extra cash? Come on, how amazing is that? In fact, it's even more amazing when you realize all the places where Discover is accepted. 99% of places in the U.S. that take credit cards. So when it comes to Discover, get used to hearing yes more often. Learn more at discover.com slash yes. 2020 Nielsen Report limitations apply.